Welcome to the Faith Driven Athlete Podcast. If you're an athlete, coach, or sports fan driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected is to sign up for our free monthly magazine at faithdrivenathlete.org. We'll compile the best videos, articles, and resources written by athletes across the country and bring them to you once a month. This podcast, of course, doesn't exist without you, our community. So while you're on the site, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you and any questions that you might have for our guests. You know, starting off one and three, and we had just made a change at quarterback with Sam Darnold. We had lost a really tough game, a really close game with about 16 seconds left on the clock at Utah. We're one and three. One and three at USC is not very good, and it doesn't put you in a great position. And I remember walking off that field and seeing how much it hurt the guys and how it hurts your own heart for them, but understanding how good a football team we had. And if you just have faith, and you keep on doing what you know is right for those kids and keep on working as hard as you can, that the tide was going to turn, and it did turn. Hey, from wherever you are, thank you for tuning in once again, maybe downloading, actually, the Faith Driven Athlete podcast. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to coach one of the most storied programs in NCAA football ever? Well, Clay Helton, he can tell you. He's the head coach of USC, and after growing up under a father whose coaching career took their family all over the country, it's no surprise that Clay found himself full of a love for the game. He talked to us about the life as a coach, dealing with unexpected injuries, and what it means for him to trust God, even when he has no idea what next season might look like. Okay, welcome back to the Faith Driven Athlete. We've got a special guest today, Coach Clay Helton of USC Football in the house. Coach Helton, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you on the show. You've got a Durham connection, which is a big deal for me, having moved out to California from Durham, North Carolina. You got your start in Duke, but we actually want to start off with our podcast interview even before then. We'd like to get a good flyover with our guests about their background, how they grew up, their faith story. So get us started by talking about your life growing up. Yeah. You know, I am a coach's son. My dad has been a 48-year college and NFL football coach, has been an assistant coach, has been a head coach. And I was born in Gainesville, Florida, when he was coaching at the University of Florida. So the game has been my whole life. And the education piece of the game has been my whole life. And I got to see my dad do it when I being raised. I got to see him be a servant leader. I got to see him be an educator. And just growing up around him and being around such amazing men, uh, I won't even say players, but men, I remember being 10 years old and being walking into his quarterback room and there's Jim Kelly, Benny Testaverde, Bernie Kosar, three all-time greats. And I was fascinated by them. I was a young quarterback at 10 years old and they were great quarterbacks, but I was even more impressed with them as people. And it was something that really hit home to me that this game has tremendous people in it and tremendous leadership qualities. And I got to see my dad do it firsthand. And so as I went through my playing career in high school and college, I was hoping and praying I was a great player, uh, but it didn't turn out. I was just okay. (laughs) Uh, And as I finished up my college career, I had been studying mechanical engineering. Uh, I've been a math and science guy. 
then had decided that I wanted to follow my dad's footsteps. Uh, he had touched so many lives. Uh, he was my hero, my mentor. And a lot of us want to grow up being our dad. I had seen how much impact that he had had on young men, some that didn't have fathers. He had become their adopted father and saw that firsthand in growing up and said, that is what I want to do for the rest of my life is to have the opportunity to educate young men in a sport that I love. So two questions that flow from this. Number one, we've never had a mechanical engineer on any one of the programs we do, faith-driven entrepreneur, investor, and definitely faith-driven athlete. How does your experience as a mechanical engineer impact the way you think of the sport of football? Yeah, you know, when you think about football, it is a mathematical game. It has to do with pad level, angles of departure, hat placement, leverage. So there's a lot of mathematics behind it that you end up using. We talk about first step football and how important the first step in the angle of departure is. So there's a lot of things that go into it. I'm thankful for my mathematics and physics <laughs> opportunity. It does come into play and it does help you with the game. Okay. So the next thing is, is as a dad now and as a coach, well, I'll put it in my perspective. As a father now, I have an appreciation for my father when he had me growing up about what he did in terms of balancing work and family and how he parented teenage boys and all those things. So you've been through that whole life cycle. You studied under a coach because you moved around a lot with your dad, and now you are a coach. What kind of perspectives do you have now about your upbringing, about what your dad did and how it was different that give you an appreciation and make you want to pick up the phone and call him up and say, Dad, I think I get it now. Here's what I've learned. Yeah, well, I always appreciated Dad because I've always thought the greatest gift you can give somebody is your time. And sometimes our job requires a lot of time. And what I appreciated about my dad the most is every time he got a free second, it was about me and my brother, Tyson, who's also a football coach now. But it was all about us and our family, her mom and us two boys, mm -hmm. as soon as he left the game. And it's one of the things that he taught me is understand that there's so much time taken up in this game that when you do get done with it, you immediately go to your priorities in life. And I remember being 22 years old, just marrying my high school sweetheart, Miss Angela. And he made me write down before I went to Duke University, what are your three priorities? And I wrote down faith, family, and football. And those words had been used a lot. But for me, that was my priority. And he said, okay, you've written this down. So that's what your focus is always on. You know, sometimes we don't get the choice of having extra hobbies or hanging out with friends. It's about those three categories. If you choose this way of life and he chose that way of life and he exemplified it. He always gave my mom, me, my brother all the time, as well as his adopted sons, as far as the kids that he coached, you know, he was always there for. Them. And, you know, growing up in that environment of just being a servant for others is something that really hit home for me. And I'm thankful to dad. Now being a guy that's been in college football for 26 years, you do realize that this is a servant's job. And it's a lot of fun being a servant. So coach, you've been at USC for 10 years now. Sounds like from a young age, coaching's in the blood. And we all have that dream of that big call, whatever that career opportunity might be, and you know, to build your own program. Sometimes it finds us in different ways. You had the chance to step in following after Lane Kiffin and Coach Sarkeesian, some tumultuous exits. What is it like 
waiting for that opportunity so long, then in really a moment's notice being thrust into that role so quickly? Yeah, you, you realize in a hurry, uh, it's not your plan, it's God's plan. <laughs> and it's not your will, it's his will. Because I realized I had gone 20 years as an assistant coach, as a coordinator. I had not had that opportunity yet to be a head coach. And sometimes you ask yourself, wow, you know, when is it going to be my turn? I've been an interim head coach in some different situations, but when is it going to be my turn? And you're sitting there after 20 years and finally you get your opportunity. And literally in year one, I remember sitting down and say, thank you, God. I needed all 20 years to be able to handle this job, everything that comes with it. And thank goodness I wasn't thrust in it too early because I wasn't ready. But after the experiences I had had at different universities under different leadership, the lessons that I had learned, I was ready when the time was called and was thankful that I was on God's plan and not my own because I don't think I would have been as successful at an earlier age. So what's it like when you think about you have the chance to step in as interim coach there once and then a chance to do it again? You mentioned that all those experiences prepared you for something. What did you learn stepping in that first time that then prepared you now for this time? Yeah, you know, I was an interim head coach twice. And in both times, it really taught me that, remember, it's about the student athlete. And when you step in that job and there's been a change at the head coach level and you've been named the interim head coach, your job is not secure. You don't know what the future is. But as I told our staff, I sat them down and said, guys, these are these kids one opportunity in a college experience. Let's make it the best for them. That's why we all got in this, is to be servants to the student athlete and make their experience grand. And so in both situations, and I'm so proud of the men that surrounded me, all we did was focus on the player, on the student athlete, helping every way we could develop them as players, helping them to win football games and be successful, and to make sure that they had a great experience. And, you know, in both situations, we came out successful. And I think it was really, instead of putting our focus everywhere else, you know, it was truly about doing our job and making sure that we were taking care of our own players who are our family. And so it really taught me, why would you ever change? You know, if you do that in the most adverse condition and you're successful, why would you ever change in a normal situation when you've been named a head coach? Focus on your players and what is best for them always. Is there a point, I mean, we see all these stories, whether it be overnight, somebody is making that cross-country flight, they get announced as a head coach, or in a situation like yours, you're thrown into that opportunity quickly. You paddle hard those first couple of weeks. When is that point when you first like look around at your wife and say, oh my goodness, it's here? Like When, when do you come up for air? <laughs> Uh, it's hard. We're creatures of routine in football and probably as business and all of us. But I'll never forget in my first year as a head coach, we had started off one and three. And uh, obviously, when you're one and three USC, uh, they're not very happy. But we had a group of men that believed in each other, a staff that believed in each other. We rattled nine wins off in a row and went to a Rose Bowl. And I remember we're getting ready to play Penn State. And I had a big hug from two men, Marcus Allen and Ronnie Lott, right before the game. Mm -hmm. And they said, Coach, make sure you look up and then you enjoy the moment. Mm -hmm. And I remember right mm -hmm. before the kickoff of that game, looking up and saying, wow. You know, this is a moment in time that very few 
get the honor or have the opportunity to be a part of. And just remember being totally grateful for that experience and that opportunity to be in that arena with the group of men that I was with. What does a hug feel like from Ronnie Lott? <laughs> it scares I think that a lot of people of could have different views on that. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. It's about two minutes before the game and I'm on the sideline and they're getting ready to flip the coin to see who's going to take the ball. And the biggest arms come around me and it's Ronnie and Marcus. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. I turn around and go, Wow, I don't get starstruck very often, even living in Hollywood with movie stars. But when two of the greats walk up on top of you, I got goosebumps. I I did get starstruck. I was like, man, these are two of the all-time great right here, down here with us. So that hug is pretty powerful in a lot of ways. Yeah, I bet. You know, as a former quarterback, you're a quarterback. Ronnie Lott, man, when he hugs a quarterback, feels a little different. I'd rather be hugged by Marcus Allen, I think. (laughs) Ronnie was a violent person in the game. Yeah. So, Coach, you've obviously made a lot of big decisions, you know, over your time there at USC. And there's big ones when it comes to your staff, recruiting. All of them seem huge. But there seems to be a few bigger, especially at the college level, than passing the mantle of QB1. You know, passing that baton to somebody to take the reins. You've done that a couple of times over the years. Sometimes by injury, sometimes by necessity. You know, Sam Darnold stepping in was one of those. What makes that decision so important? And how does that get rolled out? Yeah, you know, no matter what level of the game that you, I don't care if it's high school, college, NFL, it is a quarterback driven game. And for a lot of factors, one, because the young man's talent and ability to move the football, but two, people don't realize how many of the intangibles come into play. And that's a huge part of our evaluation when we're looking at quarterbacks is the intangibles, because you got to remember, he's the one guy that everybody sees on every play. He's the one with the ball in his hand. And whether it's a good play or a bad play, from his body language to his leadership to his confidence after each play, is he a guy that has a good play and can put it behind it and move on? Is he a guy that has a bad play and it doesn't affect him for the next three to four plays? There's so much strength of character that goes to the position that rubs off on everybody else that there are those intangibles that come in. It's just not about how you spin it. It's about what type of leader you are, what type of man you are, what type of confidence that you have, how that confidence rubs off on others. And then when it's time to be out there and the bullets are flying and everything's going crazy, that you have the poise to be the calm in the storm. And so, you know, usually it's not one of those where a position where you decide Uh, Is it, oh, routes on air or seven on seven scale in this nice world? It's usually in the most adverse conditions where guys step up and you truly see, wow, this guy is really good. He can be great. He knows how to handle adversity. He knows how to handle the pressure. He doesn't let things get to him. He's poised. He's a guy that leads, whether it's by his voice or whether it's by example. It's a guy that could walk up on top of somebody and spend time with them and be able to say, hey, this is what we got to do together to be able to be great. You got to have that air of confidence at the position. So it takes something that takes a lot of evaluation. We look at a lot of these quarterbacks when they start the ninth grade and watch them off for four years as they grow and see if they're made up of that character. So when you talk about calm before the storm or in the storm, rather, the only position in all of college football that has more attention on it is the head coach position. 
What's it like to be in that storm? You're at a place like USC and they want perfection all the time. You come in to USC after Pete Carroll has had some success. You're in a spot where you've got a real competitive conference and it's hard. What's it like when you have, because we have so many people that listen to this podcast that come over from Faith Driven Entrepreneur and understand some of the stresses and the pressures and the identity, and yet none of them can imagine what it must look like to have people calling for your head in a newspaper. How do you maintain an identity in all of that? Yeah. You know, one, you understand we all have roles and you got to understand I've always wanted to have the opportunity to be in a job like USC, you know, where the standards and the expectations are so high. You know, there's a lot of universities that you go win eight games and they're like, oh my gosh, what a great season. We're not at one of those places. This is where championships, that's where the bar is set. And I've always wanted that. It's the standard that I've always set for myself. Uh, And you have to realize that the expectations you have to fight each and every day for. It's a choice. It's a way of life is to give your absolute best at all times. And you also have to realize that when you're in that leadership position, that everybody's looking to you and how you react is how they're going to react. You know, and I'm dealing with 18 to 21 year olds that if their leader doesn't show poise or doesn't handle things the right way, they're not going to. So each and every day when I'm driving in the car into work, I remind myself when you're sitting in this chair, there are no bad days. You have to be in a frame of work that helps 18 to 21 year olds see what it is to be a leader. And I've always believed we all have roles. My job is to win games, help raise young men on and off the field and develop them. The media's job is to report and to give opinion. And the fans job is to bring the passion. You know, and if you win a bunch of games, it's usually great passion (laughs) and they're great stories from the media. And if you don't, then there's going to be negative passion. And that's just part of it. And after seeing my dad go through it and now going 26 years myself, you understand it's part of the game. And if you can't handle it, then you shouldn't sit in the seat. Well, it, clearly, and, and we've all seen you with tremendous poise and see it in front of the press and in front of the players and how important that is, of course, as a leader. Are there things that you rely on when the press is becoming particularly oppressive, maybe? Are there spiritual disciplines? Are there different things that you do to kind of really lean into your faith? Maybe it's with friends, it's with family, but are there spiritual exercises that you have had some success with as you really lean on your identity as being something greater and more important than a college football coach? Yeah, I, I lean on Jesus. I lean on my faith every morning, religiously. The first thing I do is I wake up, I get my coffee, I feed my dog, let the dog out, come back in, and I read the word and I pray and I lean on Jesus and it calms me. I pray for patience. I pray for clarity in decision-making. I pray for poise and I pray to make the right decisions for young men and always remind myself that this job is one of a servant. And so that's my exercise is to lean on my Lord and Savior. And I hope it rubs off on others. But each and every morning, that's my exercise. And it's just, it centers me. It centers me for the day. And it allows me to one to get into his word. And every time I get into his word, I pick up something extra. It's amazing. Just a little bit of something extra that helps me be a good coach and a good leader. But it also centers me. It calms me. It provides me clarity. And it provides me good decision-making to remember always the priorities, faith, 
family, and football in that order. That's awesome. I want to come back to something you mentioned before when you're talking about the quarterback position, about what you're looking for in a young man beginning at ninth grade. Now, you've got to recruit for lots of positions. And again, we've got a lot of overlap with the Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast. And these are people that are responsible for recruiting people, marketing people, and accounting people, and legal people to come in and join their team. And that's a hard job. And yet, even with that, they can think that if they're successful, somebody might stay with them for 20 years. You've got them for a couple of years. How do you staff a company to go off into battle with young men, knowing that there's going to be a lot of turnover? What is it you look for in all the different individuals on a team, not just the quarterback? Yeah. You know, for me, I'll start with the staff. I think one, the men that you have around you is imperative. And I don't care if you're in a business. I don't care if you're a football team. It's all the same. I believe we're in the relationship business and the trust business. And our number one job as a staff is to build trust between the coach and the player. And I think there's a couple things that go into that. Uh, you know, one, I believe a young man that's 18 to 21 year old has to trust his leader's character. Number one, without character, you can't have a relationship. Number two, they have to trust that that staff member can develop them, you know, both on and off the field, that they're competent and knowledgeable enough to help them progress. Number three is they have to be able to trust that you care about them as a person. It's not just the job. It's not just the X's and O's, but you're willing to spend time with them and dive into where they are as a person, whether it's a high time or a low time, being able to help them along the way. And show care and concern just by giving your time and learning about them and helping them through some of life struggles. And then lastly, and this is the hardest one, I think, for coaches, especially young coaches as they grow in profession, is they have to trust that you're going to be brutally honest with them. You know, that you're going to look them in the eye and say, this is your strengths right now. This is where you are, but this is your areas of growth. I don't like to say weaknesses. This is where you can grow as a player. And so everybody I've ever hired, those are the questions that I ask myself. Is this a person of character? Is this a person that can teach and educate and develop? Is this a person that's willing to show care and concern to the student athlete? And is it a person that's going to be brutally honest with that athlete so they can help grow? all the way around. You know, as far as the player goes, as far as the players bringing them in, for me, there's several factors. One, I've always believed in surrounding myself with people that have a love for the game because it's a choice. It's a way of life. You have to love this game. You have to love to be great in the game. You have to have the opportunity and understand that you want to surround yourself with people that love competition. Because especially when you're coming into a place like USC, not only is the guy across from you a really good player, like I'm watching a Juju Smith-Schuster go against an Adoree Jackson, you know, two guys that are first-round draft pick every day in that competitive level, but also you got people within your room. You talk about that quarterback position. There's four people that are in that room that could play probably anywhere in the country. And you can't fear competition from others, whether it's across on the other side of the ball or whether it's in your own position, you know? So that availability to one compete at the highest level and want to be great and love the game and put the work that's necessary to be great at the game. Those are some things that I really look for. It's easy to watch the tape. You watch the tape and you say, oh, gosh, this guy's really good at this game. But you got to dig in and see if he truly loves it. Is he willing to put the work into it? Is he willing to compete? Those intangibles that really come make a player go from good to great. 
Awesome. Okay, that's managing down. It's the coaches, the staff, and the players. Let's talk about going up just one level. When you're the head coach at USC football, there are not many layers to go up, and yet there's an athletic director. What's it look like to have three different athletic directors, and how do you manage through that change? Yeah, you understand that anytime that there's new leadership that comes into play, whether it's the president of a university or the athletic director, which have been through a couple of times, that each person is different. But you always remember there's a chain of command. We're the closest thing, I think, to the military is a football team and an athletic department. And there is a chain of command. And it's your responsibility as the head football coach to learn the priorities of the athletic director learn exactly what he wants and be able to satisfy and absolutely do your best job in getting those things accomplished. You know, so each time we've had a change, I've made a point of having a great relationship, being able to have honest conversations of exactly what the expectations are and be able to be able to sit down and just talk as two people and say, hey, where can we grow? Where do you see us get better? Rather, it being a relationship and a partnership and growing together rather than just saying, hey, boss and next person. It's a partnership where we're trying to grow an athletic department and a football team and really diving into the expectations of what the athletic director wants. Coach, as we start to come to a little bit of a close here, I want to finish talking specifically more about your faith. Talk to us a little bit about times in your life or career when your faith has been stretched, it's been put to the test. You maybe have had to hold some of those doubts and worries and thoughts captive. Just talk to us a little bit about that. Is there any moments that you shared with your brother, your dad along the way, a text message or something that on this journey that have been impactful for you? Yeah, you know, I've been in certain periods of times in 26 years that um, you have the highs and lows of the season and the job is so hard. I mean, it's every second of the day that you're raising 18 to 21 year olds and trying to produce wins also. And when those wins aren't coming, man, there are hard times. You know, you feel the pressure. You feel the stress. You want it for your team just as much as you want it for your own self and your own family. And so in those times, I remember, and I've got this jersey behind me, which I keep up in my office, right? It's a 2017 Rose Bowl. And I keep it up there for a reason, not because of that one memory. It was because of that season, you know, starting off one and three. And we had just made a change at quarterback with Sam Darnold. We had lost a really tough game, a really close game with about 16 seconds left on the clock at Utah. We're one and three. One and three at USC is not very good, and it doesn't put you in a great position. And I remember walking off that field and seeing how much it hurt the guys and how it hurts your own heart for them, but understanding how good a football team we had. And if you just have faith, and you keep on doing what you know is right for those kids and keep on working as hard as you can, that the tide was going to turn. And it did turn. You know, we rattle off nine wins in a row, beat Penn State 52 to 49 in one of the all-time great Rose Bowls. And I keep this jersey up to remind me that you're always in the fight. No matter where it is, have faith that you're on God's plan. It's his will. It's his plan. Just keep on being that servant. Keep on working as hard as you can each and every day. Be at your best and the tide will turn, you know. And so that's where I'm always at. It's just any time that I'm feeling a little bit down in the dumps, I turn to him and remind myself that my faith can carry me through this. He's never going to put too much on me that I can't take. Coach, we love to finish each episode just in God's word. 
deeply rooted in scripture and to just to say, is there a passage maybe as you woke up this morning or this week that he has you in that's coming alive to you that you could share with our listeners? Yeah, you know, I'm in the New Testament right now. I just finished Luke. I'm now in John. But the other day I read, all we had to do is have faith the size of a mustard seed. And we can accomplish unbelievably amazing things. And to keep that faith in Him and in His Word and His promise and having the opportunity that He gave us the grace of salvation. And it just amazes me of everything that's out there in the world that He remembers me each and every day. So I will always have faith in Him. As we finish up, we like to spotlight a ministry that is locking arms with our listeners. We know that many listening to the show are business owners and entrepreneurs looking to live out your faith in the marketplace. So this week, we want to make sure everyone knows about The Faith-Driven Entrepreneur. It's a weekly podcast, a monthly newsletter, a daily blog, along with other video Bible studies and events that help you get provisioned for the journey you are on. Check it out at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. Thank you very much for joining us for today's show. The best way to stay connected with us is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenathlete.org. We're very grateful for the opportunity to serve the larger faith-driven community. Come check out our podcast at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org and also faithdriveninvestor.org. We, of course, want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you. And it's been very rewarding to see listeners coming to the sites from more than 100 countries. It's very important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your journey, one that you're proud of and that you'll share with others. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music by Carl Kegwell. You can see more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. 